Good morning and welcome to today's episode of Coffee with Bobby. Today I am joined with Sean Fitzpatrick. Sean is a self-taught multimedia artist who has embraced a more conventional direction with his work. For the last 29 years, his mediums of choice have been centered around materials that are not meant to last very long, such as snow, sand, pumpkins, and 3D chalk art. His wish is for people to view his works firsthand to appreciate the beauty in the moment. If people walk away with a little more appreciation of time, the work has done its job, according to Sean. He's worked with Fortune 100 companies, featured in museums, worked with professional sports teams, and many more. Welcome to the show today, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. I love the creativity and the vibe that I've seen from your work so far. So tell us a little bit more about what's happening in your world right now. So right now, um, about 80 to 90 percent of my work is in the in the event industry, um, whether it's through a corporate event, trade shows. Um, it could even be like travel reward, which all that is just non-existent right now. So I've had a few projects here and there. Um, I did some pumpkin carving down in Houston in October. Um, I was supposed to be in uh, San Diego carving ice for the last two months, but that got canceled. They shut all that down. So, you know, right now it's just all about self-improvement. I 100% feel you on what it's like to have to transition and like roll with the punches. I was there with you in the event industry, you know, previously and, you know, when everything hit ground zero, you know, it went from a hundred to zero in March. It was just one of those shifts that's like, okay, it's time to like figure out what's next, where to transition, how do we make the next move? And that's been one of those things that's taken time. It's taken like lots of meditation for me and sort of figuring out how do I convert what I love to do into different mediums. Right. And, and I think sometimes it's, um, it's about what you can do too. And it doesn't necessarily like in a time like this, um, it's great to do self-examination, start to do some retraining, but then also just go into full hustle gear like what do I have to do to make money you know so if maybe I can't get myself a job maybe I can get somebody else a job or help somebody else out um, they'll throw me a little bit of cash as a thank you you know so whatever mm -hmm. I can do to try to get you know myself work to get somebody else work um, you know it's uh, goes in it's kind of like a survival mode type thing it's like well you know, I spent 20 years in the automotive industry. Should I go back to fixing cars? I mean, I've already answered that question. That's going to be a resounding no, but I could if I right. wanted to, because, you know, people right now, it's an in-demand field. I wouldn't be making a lot of money, but I could do it. Um, but I've just chosen to focus on what I've been loving to do and, and just being confident that I think uh, it's going to come out all right at the other end. 100%. And when you believe that in your heart and you put the work into it and you see that it is possible, you're ahead of the ball game by, you know, doing the work and being like, I'm going to get out of this and I'm going to be better than what I was on the other side. Right. Yeah. Like when I started 
um, I quit my job in 2006 after building my business up part-time. So 20 years in the automotive industry, within six years, I had transitioned fully into what I'm doing today. I mean, obviously I've, I've expanded over the last, you know, 15 years, but um, when I quit my job, I was ready to go. Uh, and cause I had had those six years to try to develop, but at, at the same time, those first three years were brutal. You know, I learned so much, you know, getting my feet wet and, and, and getting out there. Um, and then two years into it, 2008, boom, the economy collapses. Um, you know, I was supposed to go to Hawaii for a job back then and it got canceled. It was for yellow pages. They went belly up. So it was like, there was a lot of companies that were folding a lot of big companies. Um, so the difference, I think what's happening now is big companies are thriving um, and the little guys are suffering. So a lot of the restaurants, a lot of the smaller businesses and stuff like that. So it's, um, it's not like you can use the same tactics you used back then in 2008 to deal with what's going on today. So you still have to fly on your feet and try to figure stuff out. Right, it's just like one crazy roller coaster ride. And that's what I always said when I was in the events industry, you know, I never knew what was coming next. I was like, everything changes last minute, clients change, your cities change, and you just learn like, well, I'm just not going to plan. And that's what I did for a while. I was like, I had a plan, but I was okay if it just got thrown out the window because- like 99% of the time, that's what happens when you're on the grounds. But you're right. Like when you're at this place in life, the same thing is happening last year into this year. And we just have to keep going with it. So what's been one of the ways for you that you've sort of transitioned? So I just try a lot of things and it's literally like iteration. Um, it's like launching a rocket, watching it blow up and then building another rocket and watching it blow up and just keep doing that. I mean, it's like try different things. Um, so, and then, you know, find something that you like, but then also think about, okay, I'm having fun. I'm creating stuff. How do I apply this as a business, um, you know, to support myself? Like, what is it that I can do? So with photography, like it's endless, like there's so many different things that you could do that you don't necessarily love doing right but you could make decent money doing it you got corporate headshots people still need headshots because even if you're on zoom you know you have to have that corporate identity you have to have that 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 thing you know where people look at your face where we're still a species of people that connect through the eyes and we want to see that you know that continues so there's that there's there's um still advertising going on there's still product shoots there's still so many different things there and then you know then there's the fun stuff that i like to shoot with um astrophotography and landscape photos and things like that and that's for my art you know i can do that um and at the same time i still have a business you know like my business hasn't gone away just because right now there's no demand for it um hopefully that demand will come back but if it doesn't you know i have to find different ways to offer things that um will be in demand you know and still and still spark that creativity absolutely yeah because going back to working for somebody else um at this stage for me 15 years in you know not an option yet you know 
Yeah, I mean, that transition would be super hard. I know I've done freelance life for years and years now. And just the thought of like, okay, now I'm going into motivational speaking. I'm doing this. I'm on the podcast train. I'm not going back into corporate world. I'm going to try to stay away from that as much as possible. So I feel, yeah, it's when you've been on your own for so long and you've got more years than I do in it, you're like, I got to make this work and it's going to happen. Yeah, I feel like it's almost we should make it um, a prerequisite. Like, so you go into high school, go to college, awesome, great, go work for a company. You can only work for a company for 10 years max. And then you have to open your own business. Like, that's it. Like, sink or swim, you got to do it. And the business can fail. Just open up another one, you know, learn. But if you haven't learned something from that office job or whatever job that you've been in, you know, that has to do with business, then you're not paying attention. Um, you know, you can work for any company doing anything and you can learn something about business with it. And for me, like 20 years in the automotive industry, that was business school. That was 20 years of hardcore every day. You know, I was just paying attention, like, well, what are they doing this week? What are they trying to make that people are going to buy? And how are they going to satisfy that need? And how are they going to take care of the problems in production? And and how are they going to increase sales? And how are they going to? I went to all those meetings. You know, they, mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily want me there, but um, I went to them. And they didn't necessarily like what I had to say. I was opinionated. I was young. You know, I didn't know what to keep my mouth shut or not. And um, I didn't want to. <laughs> right? Were you in the sales industry in the automotive, or? I was. In, I was a wrench. I was um, out in the back shop okay. fixing cars. I was rebuilding engines. Um, and, you know, over the course of 20 years, uh, I brought myself up to like, I was like number one or two in the Northeast as far as like diagnostic technicians. Like if you couldn't fix your car or no one could fix it, chances are I would end up in my bay and I would fix it. And it was fun for a while. You know, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm a perfectionist, but I constantly seek improvement in my work. And I don't typically focus on what I'm good at. Like I'll put all the work into what I stink at. And I've, and that's helped. That's definitely helped, um, especially in my art career, because I was horrible at doing portraits for years and years and years and years and years. But, you know, after years and years and years of making horrible portraits, I can do likenesses, you know, and I can do stuff like that, that I couldn't do even 20 years ago. So you know, it's, and it's all about that. It's all about just constant, constantly seeking self-improvement somewhere down the road. You don't know where it's going to pay off, you know? But every building block I've found, like you don't see how the dots connect right now, but then you look back and you're like, that is why it had to happen. That's why I had to spend some extra time doing this. I know I've played around with different mediums of art. I've done photography and then, you know, I just have moments where I just want to play. So I just buy a whole bunch of alcohol ink or resin and just create, whether it's inside the house or outside. And it's invigorating. It just helps me learn. And then when I look back, I was like, oh, that's why I had to play with this because now I'm using some of that knowledge now in a different way. 
that that's it in a nutshell right there and and you hit the nail on the head when you said you're playing like when, when you feel like what you're doing is play you're gonna learn so much better so much faster it's enjoyable you're reducing stress you're reducing cortisol your hormone balance is good there's so much like health benefits to that and then career benefits because you're learning you're you're finding something new or a new way to look at something um, and you're using something that you love to do to facilitate that and that's what's helped me like my day my day like today like I get mm -hmm. up what am I going to make today you know what what's my project of the day what am I going to work on because you know obviously I'm still running the business so the website needs tending to you know I have to post on social media you know different things that uh, are going to help the business grow long term um, spend a little time on LinkedIn, uh, see if there's any demand out there for what I'm doing, uh, and and then just keep following up with people. And um, LinkedIn's been a pretty valuable tool, uh, at least before the pandemic. We'll see what happens afterwards. But I, I got a significant amount of referrals through LinkedIn and um, made a lot of great connections with business partners on LinkedIn. So um, it's, it's definitely, I, I enjoy the platform for the most part, until it gets a little crazy, which, you know, right now, a lot of social media platforms are just their propaganda farms. So you got to be careful and just kind of scroll past the propaganda <laughs> and, you know, sink into the meat because there's still plenty of good meat out there. You just you got to dig deeper for it, you know? Definitely. And I can tell you this on the social media side, LinkedIn is definitely getting ready. There for a while, I want to say eight years ago, it was sort of at its popping phase then. And then it sort of like died off. But now it's like back in the ground running of how they've shifted things, how they're redoing the user interface and connections and algorithms and things like that. And also, especially for art, um, TikTok, like it may not be one that you've thought of, but that one could definitely be beneficial as well i could use it like as a platform but my i couldn't use it on a daily basis like i i've i turned on TikTok once for eight minutes and i wanted the eight minutes back okay yeah so for me like i don't i don't see it um and i just see people like it's going to be TikTok this month and then it's going to be uh, leapfrog next month or jump to whatever they come up with. Because here's the thing with those platforms is that people are like, oh, it's so easy. I have a gazillion views and I have all these followers. And then instantly depression sets in and social disorders. And then somebody doesn't post something and all of a sudden nobody sees it. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's. I, I'll, I'll post on Instagram. I, I ditched Facebook. Um, and that, that's, that's a moral obligation, I think, for everybody to just send a message to bad actors. And, and there's a lot of bad actors out there. Eventually, hopefully, Instagram will be split and it'll be an independent company. But right now, there's just there's too much power in social media companies and they have no accountability. So they can post anything they want, right? Right. And we can't say anything about it. But yet, if we post something, they can censor it. If they deem like there was stuff back in um, March, 
you know, where mm-hmm. I was just posting stuff. Hey guys, make sure you get your vitamin D levels up, blah, blah, blah. And so Facebook would block those posts because I was telling people, Hey, make sure. And now like all the governments go, Hey, make sure you get your vitamin D levels up. But if it's not part of the narrative at the time, you're going to be victim of censorship. And that's like, that's not government censorship. That's, that's private corporate censorship, which I think is super deadly, super dangerous. So we'll see what happens with all these social yeah. media platforms this year. It's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a wrecking, I think. Yeah, it's so it's a fine line there. I've seen a lot of the censorship too, not really on my staff, but just on people that I follow and other doctors in the industry who put some stuff out, like you said, like go outside, get some sunshine, like common sense, right? Right. Things that all of us should be doing um, on a daily basis, not only during times of a pandemic, right? And yeah, they're trying to push us into one narrative, like you said. Well, so it makes like, them a ton of money. It's like any type of time you have controversy, it's like, that's why Donald Trump was on Twitter for so long. It's like the amount of money that that guy was generating oh. every time he hit a tweet, Twitter was like, if we block him, we're going to lose all that money. Yeah, and they need it. So, event- well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that's what these companies are into. It's like, you, you, you know, we, we need more money, so you know it's that's the decision it's and then it's like oh well, we did our moral best and we blocked donald trump it's like really well what happened for the last three years right <laughs> uh, so yeah it's yeah. it's kind of funny it's it's interesting but i try not to spend too much time on on that end of it i just um try to focus more on like i said the self-improvement side um try not to be influenced too much by what others people say, because that, that's the other thing. It's like, if you get some feedback from somebody like, oh, that, what a stupid idea that is. You, that's never going to work. So chances are that's, that's going to be the winner because people instantly will try to knock you down. That's just nature. You know, they, they want right. you on their playing level, certain people, you know, if they're having a hard time with their life, they don't want you to be all of a sudden, you know, things are working out. So they'll be like, oh no, a stupid idea. Don't do that. Yup. And then it plays into your fear of judgment. And then you go down this rabbit hole of I'm never going to create, I'm never going to put it out there in the world. And like you said, that is the one thing that you absolutely need to put out if people are telling you like, yeah, and and within reason, obviously, if it's a silly idea, you know, you'll know, you know, like, even for me, like, I was, my business plan was I'm gonna make art, large pieces out of stuff that's not going to last and I'm going to sell it for a lot of money. And that was my business plan. And it's like, that's not going to work. I mean, even when I say it, it doesn't sound like it's going to work, but it's like people will pay for experiences. And that's what my business is, is I create experiences and it's, they're cool experiences. They're artistic experiences. They're things that people can relate to like pumpkin carving, uh, very relatable, sand sculpting, very relatable. Now, it, they may not be on the level that I'm at, but it's just because I put the time into it, you know? And yeah, you can say I could never do that. Like, oh, I could never be that good. I, and that's wrong to say that to yourself. Like that couldn't be more wrong because talent is a weird thing. Like talent is um, taking something that you think you're good at and then spending a tremendous amount of time on that one thing. 
and then you have talent in it. But the right. talent was just a little tiny speck, right? And then the hard work was like, so that's what where talent comes into what you do, like the, where it becomes to that next level. So it's, it's not, it doesn't play as big a part as most people think. It's more about the time you put into it. Yep. And all of those hours. And as the saying goes, you got to put in the 10,000 hours of work to actually get you to that place. Right. Just... I mean, I'm not going to be Tom Brady. I could put a hundred thousand hours in and I'm not going to be able to throw the ball like that, you know? So it's, it's within reason, you know, you, there's, there's, you can do anything and then there's, you can do anything to a degree, certainly, right? right. You know, like, so that's the thing. It's like, you got to be careful when you pick that. Um, and if you're picking that pie in the sky, like small percentage, uh, you're going to be, you know, you're putting all your eggs into the NFL. You're putting all your eggs into MLB and you're, that's what you're going to be. Or, or even YouTube, Um I was recently looking at uh, success success rate numbers on YouTube, mm -hmm. and it's right up there with the NFL and MLB. Like everybody thinks, oh, I'll just start a YouTube channel and I'll make a million dollars. And I was watching a woman's video last night, and she was a musician, yeah. and she put a piece of music up on her website that she had made, um, and she posted the video, and it got over a million views. Um, but because her song was on it. YouTube demonetized that video because she has copyright protections on all her music. Right. So it was a valuable lesson for her to learn, right? But imagine getting a million views and her payout on those million views were, was 82 cents. So like there's perception yep. right? and then reality. So do the work, find out what your career really is before you say, I'm gonna devote all this time into that, you know, like you see it all the time. People yep. they go to medical school, right? They get out of medical school, they hate it. You know, two months on the job that they, they're, they're buggers. They just, they can't do it. And mm -hmm. the best thing I can tell you is just leave, don't do it. Cause you, like none of that time that you put into it is worth your misery doing something you hate to do. So, you know, that's, that's the other thing. It's like when, you know, when you do make that leap, you gotta do the work, you gotta, you know, you can't just say, oh, I wanna be a fashion model without researching fashion models and seeing what their story was, you know? And right. now you can do that. You can DM a fashion model and ask them questions. You can do that, like. And people respond. Yes. Like us, yes. I can DM artists like Rick Baker, right? So Rick Baker is a VFX artist. He's in his seventies now, but like, I guarantee you, if you ever watched a horror movie anytime in the last, well, since you've been alive, you've seen his work, right? So I, I can actually send this guy a message. Hey, Rick, what do you think about this? And he'll be like, oh, Sean, if you try this and do that, like, really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> It's instantly here. We just have to use it's, it as a tool. Yeah. People that think that like no one ever responds, it's like, you just got to know how to ask. And, you know, you can't just put a thing, hey, check out my profile, blah, blah, blah. But ask a sincere question, you know, be sincere with yeah. these people. Like, because they're real people just like you and me. People want to help others out. 
And that's what I've learned. Most you just have to, yeah. And you just have to be willing to ask and then realize, you know, if the answer is no, or you don't get a response, that's okay. You would go ask somebody else. Right. And that's like, whether you're asking advice or business or you're selling something, you just have to keep knocking on doors. Yeah. Or like the referral. I say, I tell people all the time, it's like, okay, you met someone. Did you tell them what you do? You know? Well, no. Well, I didn't really go into it. Well, why not? Because everybody wants to be the guy that knows a guy. It's like, you're in a conversation and it's like, geez, I, you know, I'm trying to do this launch for my product and I can't seem to find a 3D artist and be like, I know a guy, you know? So yeah. like, tell people what you do. Like, even if it's just a casual LinkedIn conversation, you know, hey, if you ever know anybody, like, you don't have to like be such the hard sell, like, hey, um, I'm looking forward to working with you, blah, blah, blah. I think that's the wrong approach, but just be like, yeah, if anything ever comes up, you know a guy, I'm the guy that you know. And it's like, and if I can ever help you, you know, same thing. It's like, and I think if you approach relationships, business relationships anyway, in that light, I think you're, you're way better off because you're sincere, right? You're, you're just, you're not just like, you're not trying to sell something or be very salesy. I guess like from a sales perspective, and I don't want to put down salespeople, but it's a lot of times it's like, you're just trying to sell product X, right? Yeah. But when you're talking to somebody else, you are product X about you. You're so just be like, Hey, yeah, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I do. Um, it's not all that glamorous. I don't think, you know, but it's cool. I have fun doing it and I am my own boss. Like, so that's, that's the bonus. Like I, if I want to get on a plane tomorrow and fly to Boca Chica, Texas and take some pictures of a giant spaceship, I can do that, you know? And so that's the freedom I think of working for yourself. It's like, if, um, if people aren't knocking on your doors, you just start making doors. Yeah. And you start knocking on them. You start asking, you say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Make and this yourself. is like, yeah. Like, cause I, when I first started out, like I thought, oh, I'm going to be a professional sand sculptor and I'm going to go to all these events and I'm going to, you know, build sand sculptures. That's originally what I thought I was going to do. And then I, I saw that everybody in the industry was, um, was divorced and I didn't want to get divorced. I was like very happy, you know, I'm still married. I'm very happy. Um, so I said, well, I have to change what I'm doing with this. Like, how do I make it different than what everybody else is doing? So I created an event from scratch. Like in 2004, um, I went to Revere Beach, which is an urban beach. And back in 2004, it wasn't a place you took your family. You know, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a hardcore place for mobs and gangs and bodies and bad stuff happened there, you know, and it wasn't a family beach. And then we created this event and the first year, 100,000 people showed up. Check That's it amazing. 100,000 people for like a first year event out of the gate. And we were on the Today Show. They sent like reporters down and we did like a live feed, you know, to New York. And so we're talking to Lester Holt and, and Campbell Brown and, and doing a nice little interview. And then like a couple months later, they flew me to New York and had me on their show. Mm -hmm. And I was in the New York Times. And it's like, if I didn't create that event, 
right? If I didn't take that risk, because it was a huge risk. No one said they were going to come. Again, remember, it was a bad area, you know? And since that, like the event still happens today. I managed it up until 2008, but like a million people go. A million that's people. Awesome. So the economic development that's like, they've put like a, probably a billion dollars into that whole area since I started the event. So like just the, the economic development that's gone on, um, they were selling million dollar condos on the beach. It's like, it's crazy. So like the turnaround to see it, you know, this has been, geez, that's like a long time, you know, 2004, right. man, just looking back. So it's positive change, you know what I mean? So that was early on. That's how I started my career. So like huge success, like boom, like overnight, almost not overnight. Cause it, it took, I started in 2000 focusing on the business. So within four years, so four years overnight success, right? Yeah. And it's like how long it takes. <laughs> and it takes that transition. Like you're doing like sales advice here, networking advice. Like this is more than what anybody learns in college and I can say that because I like I've gone through the university programs. My siblings are in university right now. I even taught at a university part time and I had students in my class and this was in, you know, like 2010, 2013 and business students and marketing students. And I'm doing the same thing because I'm in the events industry working as well. And they're like saying, this is what they're learning in class. I'm like, this is like so far behind the times. Like if you're going to focus on marketing, like you need to read this book and you need to get involved with this and, you know, start here. Yeah. I'm uh, learning it real time, working in the automotive industry. Like every time they would come out with a new model, like imagine the marketing material, you know? Yeah. So I got to see like, okay, well, how do we, how are we doing this? How are we promoting these products? And, 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 probably 80% of all retail and manufacturing companies in the United States use an automotive style marketing plan in their business. Software companies use it, development companies use it, startups use it. It's like, so I picked a good field because it's very generalized as far as, you know, in the retail space or even in a commercial space because we did a lot of um, commercial leasing and, and things like that. So I learned about that. Um, and when you get into it and you're running an event, it's like, there's so much you have to do like from, okay, we have no water. Well, we need water because right. sand, not with water is beach. It's not sculpture. It's just beach. So we, you know, how do we fix that? It's like, well, let's get the DPW on the horn. And it's like, okay, now we have uh, four interviews for you to do. And we have CBS over here and we have NBC over here. And it's like, okay. And then now you're scheduling that. So now you're a PR person. And it's like, yep. all right, now we need nails over on the plot. We need this. So now you're in the, so man, so many hats. I mean, thank God when I did this, I had my kids and my wife like with full support because- That's awesome. Yeah, it was like, without that, you know, and I don't do as many events as I used to, or if I do, I spread them out. So like the last major event I did was in 2015. So much work, so much work, like to produce an event from scratch. I did it out in Scottsdale, Arizona. And it was, mm -hmm. I think a 10 day event. And it was at the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks training facility, 
mountains in the distance. It was gorgeous. And um, it was in December. So Scottsdale, Arizona in December can be cold. We had mm-hmm. frost on the ground one morning, but we we're doing sand sculpting. That's awesome. In the winter it was pretty cool. So, so question for you on when you do your sculpture work, whether it's sand or pumpkin carvings or ice or whatever medium you're using, do you do it more as a live experience so people can view it as they go? Or do you normally showcase it as like, here's my finished product or yeah, it's, it's almost always done um, in, as an as you go live type of an event, like where people watch the progress. Um, and even now that's still possible, even in today's scenarios, although you'd have to spread out and, and limit attendance, you know, because I think the last one we had in um, Scottsdale, you know, you remember we we're at a, probably the, our, our gallery was probably about the size of a football field and we had about 10,000 people in there. Um, so that's, we'd have to probably scale back if we did something like that, but it's still possible. Um, and it can even be live stream, but I feel like I'm not, I've never been a huge fan of the live stream events. Um, hmm. I still call them webinars because that's what they really are. Um, so I'm hoping that that doesn't really latch on. It's nice to have as a supplemental type thing, but I don't want to be doing like remote events. It just, there's, there's too much, um, if you really want to do it right there, there's too much production cost on the back end. You know, okay. you wanted to do like a, like for, for what I do, like you wanted to bring an event like this virtual, um, you just have to have so much back end production costs. You know, you're, you're like producing an NFL game, you know, think about exactly. without, without NFL money. So <laughs> it's like, how can we make this work on a shoestring budget? And yeah, still I, mean, get I, can, I can do small stuff. Like I, I've done like pumpkin carving classes, Zoom classes for corporations and things like that. Um, live ice sculpting things for small groups, you know, Zoom type of thing. But I feel like you're not getting the same, you know, experience watching it on TV because you could watch fireworks on TV. It's not the same as being there and you can feel the, the boom in your chest, you know what I mean? So right. yeah, we're missing missing a little bit on that. That whole promise of VR, AR experiences is still about 20 years down the pipeline. So yeah, we're, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna cure it that way. So we still need the live event. Right, now as an artist, you when you're doing this live, do you feed off of the audience's energy? to help you create or is you are you sort of like in your own game plan like in my own I could do the same creative artwork without it yeah it's it would be different um and I did get to experience that last year firsthand um because we did about 20 sculptures on the cape and we're normally you know we're working out uh on route 28 all the sculptures are right in front of the businesses. So people are coming into the businesses, they're checking out the sculptures, they're talking to us. We're, you know, talking to the kids, answering questions while we're working. Um, this year, we didn't have any of that, you know? So we maybe bumped into five people and we were down there for a month, mm-hmm. you know? So um, after we left, things started to pick up and stuff like that. So it was more of a a hands-off type thing. Um, we, we got work done faster. I can tell you that, 
<laughs> yeah, because you're not talking as much. Yeah, probably. you're not like, talking about. But I can tell you that I missed it. Like I really missed that interaction, especially with the young kids, because um, that's payment for me. Like to see the like to hear somebody behind you, like oh, wow, or you know, it's like a guttural reaction that they can't control. They have no really say in the matter. They just like it, and their body is not permitting them to keep that inside. So boom, it comes out. It's like there's and, and a little kid, little kid says something's good, it's good. Yep. Little kid doesn't like it. Oh no, it's not good. So that's they're honest, brutally. <laughs> yeah. Know? I can attest to that. Like we were hanging out <laughs> with nieces and nephews this summer and the youngest one, she would tell me flat out, she was four and she'd be like, Bobby, you can't wear that. Like, or, what are you doing? You know, and like different yeah. things. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, they're, they're very hey. honest about what they want, what they expect. I have a granddaughter. She's three. She's going to be four in five weeks. And she's, uh, yeah, Gramps, put your hat on. Cause she's she like, I have, I had this crazy head yeah. of hair. She's like, Gramps, put your hat on. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> okay, honey. So yeah, she's a riot. Yeah. Your art world sounds amazing. And I know besides the sculptures, you also do these really cool graphics on sidewalks that make it look like it's it's definitely 3D art, um, but you feel like you're going into it. And yeah, it's, it's really it's cool. Like I hard to explain to people who are just listening to this. You're going to have to check it out. Um, but are those done mostly on chalk or do you transition that into like the sidewalk graphics stickers that are placed or tell us a little bit about that process. So um, back in 2003, 12, um, I was doing some work for a camp uh, for kids with pediatric AIDS. And I had been doing this project for several years and I had done ice sculpting with them. I had done sand sculpting with them. Um, we did watermelon carving one year because we couldn't get pumpkins. They said, let's do watermelons. Almost the same. It ended up being really cool. The kids loved it. Plus they got to like snack on watermelon while they were working. I don't know too many pumpkin carving uh, events that ended that way with the kids snacking on the pumpkin. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, so the, the, um, the guys that ran the camp had asked me if there's anything else that I do because they wanted to bring me back the following year, but they didn't want to repeat one of the things that I already done. So I said, well, let me work on it and I'll, I'll get back to you. And I had always been like kind of, uh, excited or, uh, interested in these 3d drawings that I had seen online. Right. So the pictures that have all plastered over the internet, chalk drawings from uh, a lot of these, uh, like there's this one guy um, who does them. He used to work for NASA and he decided, you know what, I'm just going to start doing these murals instead after, you know, and, and Kurt Winter is his name. I started following him and um, messaged him and he was like, oh, yeah, just gave me a couple tips and set me on the right path. And I started doing a handful of pieces and they were coming out good. So I built a website, 3dchalk.com. And within a couple of weeks, I had, you know, people calling me up for projects. So yeah, it was, it's, it's getting harder to get noticed that quickly on the web. 
um, just since 2013 to now, I think that couple week period is probably now three to 90 days, 30 to 90 days before you really start to get traction on, um, on Google. If you put the work in, you know, so. Right. Yeah. And then from 2000, when I first started my website, I had calls the next day. I was literally ranking within a couple days. So it's changed quite a bit as the more, more people get on the web, it's just getting harder and harder and harder, which is why people are now starting to hire me through social media. I've never even been on my website. They just, oh, Instagram. I saw you on Instagram. I hired you for my wedding or for this or for that or LinkedIn or whatever. And having, having never even been to the website. So, you know, it's, it'd be interesting to see how important a website is in 20 years from now versus, you know, other options that are available to us. So we'll see. I mean, you can shop with one click on Instagram now and every other social media, it's like DM me, here's the link, like, here you go. Um, so I agree, like the SEO and how you page rank and everything, it's shifted and you got to sort of, like we said, transition with the times and the new way of getting like closer to the top is the newer social media. So getting back into the 3D art, um, basically I started off just, you know, doing chalk drawings on the ground, but then I figured, okay, you know, I'd have to be there and these drawings take three, four days to do and it's chalk. Right. So if it rains, right, it's just washes away. So I did a couple projects um, just in chalk and they were multi-location projects for um, what was it? Oh, Pringles, I think it was. Um, so I had to fly to Texas and then the second one was in Tennessee and they were just pure chalk drawings, um, but they took several days to do. Uh, and so I was, I went back after that and I was like, how can I speed this up or give somebody an option? Cause a lot of these activation type events, they're just single day, couple hour type things. Um, and then you take something that takes four days on top of that. It, it, it doesn't make it very attractive for a company to, to activate an event like that. So I found a product that's like a modular flooring that okay. has like a rough surface on it. And they're little, they're like two foot by two foot squares and I can box them up and ship them. So one of my next projects I did for Ikea, I had started it in my studio and it was a big piece. I think it was like 16 by 16 feet. So big, big piece. Mm -hmm. um, and so instead of using chalk, um, I used paint on the panels because then I could ship them. So I, oh, I basically took chalk and like an acrylic base and I made my own chalk paint. So the chalk was, it looked like chalk, it was flat, but it was durable. So now I could ship it. So I started the piece in my studio, boxed it up, shipped it to Miami. And then the event was like two days. So over the course of two days, I finished the piece on site. I just put it together like a puzzle on site. And then the client got to keep the piece and then they put it up in one of their um, showrooms in Miami. So. I was like, awesome. That's and cool. I didn't get into the printing until a couple of years later where the technology kind of caught up because for years you could only print as wide. The widest you could print was like 50 inches. So anything bigger than that had to be seamed, which meant you had to get a professional that knew how to seam everything and the printer right. that knew how to do everything. And it was expensive. And now they can print stuff that's like 10 feet wide in like one piece. They can print on carpet. They can print on anything. So 
a lot of times now, like if a client calls me and they need something, they may be like, we just want this for photo ops. We want this for a step and repeat. We want this for this, for this. And they'll be able to reuse it. So like a, a lot of the pieces now that I sell, they're digital. They're either printed on vinyl or some type of decal. And unless they need it completed on site, that's the easiest way to do it. And it's, it's fairly inexpensive, you know, compared to doing it by hand, just because the amount of labor is just cut down so much. I'm just working on a tablet and right. I send the files right to them. So there's really not a lot of physical work. I'm not down on my hands and knees. Um, and that's the other thing too, is that I, I realized that at 54 years old, on your hands and knees is not a fun thing. So with the panels, I was able to build like a giant eight foot tall easel. Ooh, so I could right. use a, like a 10 foot piece on an easel, like standing up. It's mm -hmm. like, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, make it work. I mean. Yeah, adapt, right? It's like my knees aren't going to handle it, but some 20 year old kid could probably do it for another 20 years, you know, before he starts feeling my pain. But work smarter, not always right. harder. Yeah, you right. got it. Yep. You got to make it work and health is super important, like we've mentioned before. So you got to take care of yourself so you can keep producing later. So the art is absolutely amazing. I encourage everybody who's listening to this to go check it out. Um, as we begin to wrap up this episode, Sean, one question that I always ask on the show is, what's been one of the biggest blessings over the past year? Oh, it's just the, the past year has just been the time. I think, you know, it's been a struggle, um, but reflecting on what's really important for this last year for me has been just, you know, my immediate family, the people that I love, my grandkids, uh, and my own mental and physical well-being. You know, like you can't stress that enough how important that is. So, uh, you know, you can't change what's happened, um, but you do have control over the outcome of your future as long as you, you know, keep things in perspective. So, yeah, it, it was it was definitely a learning year, challenging, and, and 2021 looks like it's going to prove to be just as challenging, you know, if not more, you know, as we kind of uh, inch our way out of this recovery instead of spring our way out of it, because it looks like it's going to be a slow one. Yeah, but we'll get there and it's all in perspective. It's all in taking that time to make sure our mental health and like you said, well-being is there and physically, mentally, you know, emotionally, you got to take the time right now. So work your way through it. And it is something super, super important that I feel like more people are taking account of now than what they have in the past. Um, but if somebody's listening to this and is like, I don't know, oh, I've got so much work to do, I can't take the time. You're one that should actually like pause and take the time to do this. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I'll, I'll, um, I'll touch on real quick before we go is that about 10 years ago, I was working on a project and you know, preaching time and the importance of time. And I hadn't had a day off, I think, in about 208 days. So I was on project, 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 yeah. project. And so my wife says, you know, you're a hypocrite. She says, you're, you're talking about time, time, time. And you, and so I told her, I says, well, if you don't, if you don't want me to work, then just book a vacation. And we, and so that's what we do now. 
it's like for a month out of the year, like we just unplug, disconnect, go to Maui and that's it. No, no jobs, no phones, no nothing. And just recharge and then do it all again the next year. So that works. That is so important. And I'll touch on this too. Like I was doing the same thing. Freelance event industry, you work nonstop. It's anywhere from 12 to 15 hour days. You're going from city to city. You know, there's quote unquote off days, but you're still working. And, you know, it adds up. You hit that burnout stage and we took, my boyfriend and I took in 2019, you know, busy season, high to the summer, we said, we're taking six months off and just took time to disconnect, like hang out with family and friends and travel. And that was one of the best things for me because I was in this workaholic mode and that's helped me, you know, as we come in, we came into 2020 and all of the changes that happened. And even this year is to prioritize that time and time to disconnect and time to connect with others. Yeah, definitely a healthy reset for sure. And I think necessary, something everybody should look at, you know, have I taken enough time for myself this year? That should be something everybody should ask themselves at the end of the day today. Yes. If the answer is no, then do it. Take the right. time. Take the time. Stop <laughs> this right now and yep. take the time. Not six months from now, like today. Yup. Yep. Preach into the choir there, Sean. Alrighty. <laughs> Sean, where can we find out more information about you? So my website is fitzysnowman.com. And that's my main business, which is Fitzy Snowman Studios. Uh, they can also see my 3D work on 3dchalk.com. And if they like Instagram, um, I'm on Instagram at fitzysnowman.com. It's uh, at fitzysnowman, sorry, not the .com. But then I also have a new web, a new um, Instagram channel. It's called Joe Knows Maui and it features all my photography. And I've set up the channel in a kind of a gallery uh, format. So, and there's some Easter eggs buried in there. So check that site out. It's a little different than, um, than my other stuff. So yeah, you might like that. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to link your Instagrams and your website. Wherever you are listening to this or watching it, you will find it in the caption or in the show notes. Sean, this has been so much fun today. I've so enjoyed our conversation and connecting, learning about art, um, business. We dived into mental health and well-being, a little bit of everything today. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been amazing. Well, thanks for having me on, Bobby. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a great conversation. A lot of good topics that we hit on. Yeah, for sure. So if you guys are watching it, you heard Sean say it. If you feel like you need to take time to rest and stop and value the essence of time, I encourage you to do that today. And we're going to leave you with that message. Um, This has been a wrap of today's episode of Coffee with Bobby and Sean Fitzpatrick. Have a great day, guys.